something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy Advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. Each week, we invite you into a real session where we help people confront the problems in their lives and then give them actionable advice and have them report back to let us know what happened when they did what we suggested. So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, A woman whose husband has repeatedly cheated on her wonders if she should leave. The reason why I told him to leave the house was that I didn't want to fight with him in front of our son. And I told him, I need you to take this time to figure out why you do this. What is happening that you need validation from other women? First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical or psychological advice and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our guests. Hi, Guy. Hi, Laurie. And to our listeners, today we're doing something quite different and quite exciting. We are taping a regular episode of the show, but we're doing it in front of a live audience of 250 therapists, because why use two if you can have 250? The guest cannot see the audience, and the audience cannot see the guest. Only Laurie and I can, so all the privacy and confidentiality are being maintained. So, with that in mind, Laurie, what do we have in our mailbox today? Today, we have a letter about whether to stay in a relationship after infidelity, and it goes like this. Dear therapist, my husband and I are in our late 30s and have been together for almost 16 years and married for nine. We have a 14-year-old son together. About two years ago, my husband came to me and admitted that he had been cheating on me with his ex-girlfriend from his 20s. He said he felt guilty and that he needed to come clean. I appreciated his honesty, and that was the basis of the start of our healing. I was obviously very hurt and shocked. I asked that he cut all ties and contact with his ex, including social media. He told me he had, but I found out three weeks later that wasn't the truth. I was broken. How could he lie to me after I chose to forgive him for his honesty? I was ready to leave him, but he begged me for another chance, so I gave it to him. I went to therapy shortly after, and I told him that he needed to as well. We did couples counseling with my therapist twice, and he never came back, saying, quote, he didn't like it, quote, 
we don't need it, and, quote, we can talk about our problems on our own. Recently, I found a text message on his iPad that I confronted him about. I am not a snooper, but my gut was telling me I was onto something. He apologized and told me he didn't know what was going on with him and why he was doing this to us. He explained that he's going through a lot mentally, and it was the same cycle again. I asked that they cut ties. He said he did. But a week and a half later, I found messages upon messages on his Instagram showing that the relationship never ended. If anything, they were messaging each other more frequently. When I first found out and asked if he had sex with her, he said they did not. But upon reading the messages, I know now that that was also a lie. To say that I am shattered is an understatement. I've asked him to move out temporarily. I cannot even be around him, let alone look at him. I feel lost angry, betrayed, disrespected, unworthy, and defeated. I took pictures of his messages as proof of his lie, and I can't stop reading them. I don't know what to do. Do I forgive him for the sake of saving our family? How could I trust him again? Is it worth it? Does a marriage survive a second infidelity? I need some guidance. Amanda. Wow. So Amanda has been through a lot. Her question was, does a marriage survive a second infidelity or betrayal? I kind of counted five in the letter alone. At least. Because he comes clean, then he tells her that he cut ties, but then it turns out he didn't cut ties. Then he tells her he'll go to therapy, but then he doesn't go to therapy or doesn't continue with the therapy. Then two years go by, she finds out it's still going on. He tells her he never slept with her. Yeah, that was wrong too. So there's so many lies and betrayals here, way more than two. And this pattern Amanda has of minimizing looks like it's still in full force to me. Yeah, it seems like she has a lot of denial going on. And I thought it was interesting in the letter where he said he came to her because he wanted to relieve his guilt. He didn't come to her because he wanted to fix things. He cared about her feelings. And it seems like he has this pattern of repeatedly disregarding her feelings and making it more about him continuing the behaviors. So I'm curious to know now where she is weeks later and if her denial is still in full force or if she's kind of waking up a little bit because she did ask him to leave. So let's bring her in and let's find out. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapist. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. So, hi, Amanda. Hello. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. So, Amanda, we read your letter. I know that was written a few weeks ago, at least. In your letter, you said that your husband temporarily moved out. Can you tell us what's happened since you wrote the letter? Yes, he's still out. He's still not back home. But him and our son have talked. And we've talked as well and just are trying to figure out what we have to do moving forward. But he is still not in the home. When you say what we have to do to move forward, what does he think he has to do? That's a really good question. I don't think he knows either. So I'm just letting him navigate that on his own while I'm also trying to navigate what I feel like I need to do as well. Tell us a little bit about that, about what you feel you need to do. I have, besides you both, I actually have a therapy session as well coming up for myself. And my husband and I have talked about doing therapy together. And I gave him the instruction that he needed to find that therapist for us. Does he have a certain time by which he should find that therapist? It sounds like the two of you have been in this crisis for a few weeks now. I did not give him a timeline, but recently he had asked me and discussed that he wanted to do that together because he has been looking and he said he's done his research, but he would like for us to look together at what he has found. I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing he decided he was going to find a therapist and then I'm hearing he did his research. And then I'm hearing, and you guys can't see this, but she's smiling. So she's seeing a little bit through the denial here. And then you're saying, but now he's saying, oh, no, 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 we need to do this, i.e. maybe you, Amanda, need to do this. Correct. And just to understand, Amanda, so it sounds like the two of you are talking about how to move forward together. Is that correct? Yes and no. I think we're just trying to find what is next for us, if there is still trust there, if this is what he wants to be in this marriage. 
If this is what he wants? Correct. What about what you want? That's what I'm going to therapy for. So I think that's what I've been trying to do myself and ask myself the, those questions as well. So it's it's quite complicated, these kinds of decisions, and it's a very important decision, and there are all kinds of factors. Tell us a little bit more about what's going through your head over these past weeks. We'd like to hear some of the points that you're taking into consideration when you're weighing this kind of decision. I'm just trying to heal, I guess, and in a way, just take care of myself for now and figure out if I can trust him again and do I want this and if we end up getting back together do I have to deal with this again in two years you're trying to figure out if you can trust him by yourself without him participating in that process no we've seen each other and he's come over to the house and we've spent time we've gone out to dinner and the two times that we have gone out to dinner, it's ended in uh, argument. So that did not go very well. So I'm a little lost too as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how the two of you met? You said in your letter that you are in your late 30s and you've been together for about, I think it was 16 years. And so that would put you around, how old were you? 23. You were 23. And you said that he had another relationship with the person that was his girlfriend from his 20s. So how much time was there between the time that he broke up with her and the time that the two of you started dating? And then how did you meet and what was the relationship like in those early days? This second woman was not his ex-girlfriend. She was not in his past. He met her two years ago when he had another indiscretion with the ex-girlfriend that you're talking about. And so that ex-girlfriend, I think they were probably really broken up a couple years before I met him. And I think they stayed not in contact, but they knew the same people. And so he would often see her, but they never had that kind of a relationship again, until about two years ago. And when we first met, it was very fast. We had our son a year after we met. How did that happen? We obviously started dating, seeing each other, talking on the phone, dating, and he was actually an accident. We were not planning to have him. But you had your son and then you only got married when he was around five years old. What prompted you getting married at that point? I think I had been asking about it and that was obviously something that I wanted and I saw in my future and we had discussed it and he went out and got an engagement ring and proposed to me. So we were engaged for about two years, I believe, before we actually got married and that's how that came about. The relationship was so new when you got pregnant and it wasn't something that the two of you planned. What were those conversations like between the two of you when you found out you were pregnant? What were you feeling? And what was he feeling? I was obviously terrified because I come from a Christian background and I was terrified of my parents, specifically my dad. When I found out I was pregnant and I told him, he was 
very excited. We were both very excited. His whole family was excited. And eventually I told my parents and they were happy. They just wanted to make sure that I was healthy and that we were going to stay together and help raise the baby together, even though we weren't married. And that was what happened. And what were things like when you first had the baby? How did the two of you deal with being new parents together? It was hard. He worked. So I stayed up with a baby mostly because I didn't work. So that was hard. It was a hard couple of years. How is he as a dad? He's good. He's good as a dad. I think he's also trying and maybe has been trying to find that footing as well. His dad wasn't really present in his life in the beginning of his life because uh, he was away for work. It wasn't his dad's fault, but I think that's something that he's mentioned before is that he's not struggling, but obviously trying to figure out how to be a dad without having his dad when he was younger to kind of show him what that is like. What was the relationship between your parents like? My mother and father have been together for a long time and their relationship is good, but they also went through some infidelity when I was younger. That you knew about when? I knew about, yes. But you learned about when you were how old? I was seven, I believe. You were seven when you learned about it? When I heard about what happened. And I don't think I put two and two together until I was a little bit older what that meant. But I just knew that that was something that was never talked about. But I knew that happened. What happened at seven that made you suspect that something had happened between your parents? I heard my mom on the phone. She had received a letter, an anonymous letter, telling her of what happened. And she was on the phone and I heard her. She was angry. She didn't see me, but I heard her. And you didn't tell anyone that you had heard her? I did not, no. How did your parents handle the news once your mom found out, did she talk to your dad about it? Did you have any knowledge of how they dealt with the news? I don't. I just know that, and my mom and I have talked about this recently since I opened up to her about this situation. And she basically agreed that they never talked about it. Amanda, you said that you heard your mom on the phone. Only when you were a little bit older did you put things together and realize what that was about, what had happened. How old were you and what was that like to figure it out? I believe I was nine or 10. From what I can remember, my parents, I would hear them fight and I would hear the woman's name and I would hear them argue about it. You find out that your dad has cheated on your mom or was perhaps still doing so. You're still really young. You're nine or 10. How did you feel about your mom, about your dad, about what was going on? I felt bad for my mom, and I was angry with my dad. You're tearing up a bit, and I'm wondering if there's also some real sadness there, too, for yourself. Were you able to cry the way you're crying right now when you were younger? I don't think so, no. Did you tell anyone? Who did you talk to about this when you were 10 years old and you find out? My mom. We would mention it in kind of passing. Never in detail. What did that look like? 
I can remember one time, I believe, I said her name and my dad got really upset. It sounds like you said her name in front of your dad, but you said your mom and you mentioned it in passing. How would that look like between the two of you? From what I can remember, that was the one time I did say her name. And she talked to me afterwards and said, you know, you can't say that anymore. Your dad gets really upset. We're not going to talk about that. Your dad gets really upset? Mm-hmm. Not I get really upset? No. How did you understand that? Because that's how it was when I was growing up. It was all about what my dad wanted. It was about everything was his way or no way. So what do you think that taught you at 10 years old when you understand what's happened and rather than all the attention going to your mom and how she's feeling, it still goes back to your dad and how he's feeling. What do you think that taught you? That my mom's feelings were not valid. My feelings weren't valid because instead of talking about it, he got upset. Amanda, do you have siblings? No. So you were all alone in this as a child in this house where everybody knows and everybody knows that everybody knows and nobody is acknowledging it except the one time you do, in which case the person who gets upset is the person committing the infidelity. Correct. Did you ever talk to your dad about this, even as an adult? Never. And you don't know if it continues to this day? I don't think it does. Actually, I can't say. I don't really know. But I would like to hope that it does not. Did you ever ask your mom why she stayed with him if that was going on and perhaps could have continued to go on? Did you ask her what her decision making was? Yes. She said she did it for me. She didn't want me to grow up without my father. She didn't want me to grow up without the two of them. So she stayed and she did it for me. She's still with him, yes? Correct. Yes, that's correct. Is she staying now for you or is she staying now for her? I think she's staying because they have a lot together, intermixed their lives. I believe I asked her a couple years ago why she stays. And she said they have a lot of stuff together. You said in your letter that you were worried about what this would do to your family and particularly what it would do to your son if you two split up. And now you're saying your mother stayed for that reason, but you're long gone and she's still with your dad. Yes. Do you think that maybe that's not the whole story about why you keep staying? That it's for your son? Maybe. Your face just did all kinds of things. Tell me more about what the feelings were that made your face make all those expressions at once. I don't want to give up so easily, I guess. And I want to make sure that I try my best to keep this family together. Amanda, I'm asking about your feelings. And I think it's hard sometimes for you to stay there because when you were younger, you just had to push the feelings down. You just had to kind of say, okay, well, my mom's feeling a lot of stuff. My dad's feeling a lot of stuff. I'm feeling a lot of stuff. But we just can't really acknowledge that. Yes. 
sometimes when we grow up that way, we don't have a lot of practice sitting with our feelings. And the minute we feel something, it feels so unfamiliar and scary. We don't know what to do with it. Yes, I agree. I have a hard time communicating my feelings. Yeah. And maybe even knowing what you're feeling. So if we can just take a minute to go back to that maybe, and the maybe was in response to, is it possible that saying that you're staying through all these various iterations of infidelity, and by the way, there were more than two, you said to a second infidelity in your letter, but there are so many along the way in terms of the lies and the not telling the truth about certain things. You've stayed through many iterations of this and you say, I'm worried about this for my son. And I said, is it possible that there are other reasons that you're staying and that you're saying it's for your son? Just like your mom said it was for you, but she ended up staying even after you were gone from the house. And you said maybe, but then your face did all kinds of things. So what feelings do you have when you think about the fact that maybe you're not being so honest with yourself about the reasons that you keep forgiving your husband? What do you feel in your body right now when you think, I'm not sure I'm really telling myself the truth about why I'm staying every single time? It's uncomfortable. Where in your body? Like all over. Describe the discomfort. I can't. I, can't. I don't know. It's just, yeah, I, have no, I don't know. Does it feel at all like the discomfort you felt when you were a little girl and you heard your mom on the phone? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, and you didn't have a name for it then? No. So I can see why you might not be able to really articulate it now either. You didn't know what to call it. Right. Except tears are coming out of your eyes right now. So that might mean it's maybe what, do you think? That's sad. Yeah. Disappointing. It's interesting, Amanda, because the way you talk about feelings is a little bit in reverse. You were taught growing up that the women's feelings didn't matter. Your mom's feelings didn't matter. Yours didn't matter. Your dad's mattered. The man's feelings mattered. And when we asked you earlier about what's been going on in your head since you wrote the letter and since he's moved out temporarily, you said you're trying to figure out if I can trust him. And the thing about trust is that you can't figure out if you can trust him. It's his to prove that he's trustworthy. And so the feelings that he's supposed to be dealing with, you're taking on in some kind of way and your feelings get lost. You're supposed to be focusing on how you feel. You named two feelings, discomfort and sadness. There are probably another 20 that can be listed, right? You know, betrayal and hurt and resentment and frustration and disappointment. I can go on. Yes. But you're much more focused on understanding his feeling. Like your mom, you're focused on trying to figure him out rather than trying to figure you out. Yes. Do you notice that? I do. And so when Lori's asking you to try and pay attention to what's going on in your body, to try and identify what you're feeling, it's a really important exercise and it's a skill set that you have to work on because you're not clued in enough to your body and to your feelings because you were taught 
that they don't matter, so you don't have to hone that kind of understanding of them. But now you do. Now for this, you really do. And so I want to ask you, over these few weeks, what have some of the low moments been for you? There have been moments of self-doubt. Am I not good enough, you know? That if you were good enough, he wouldn't be cheating? Yes. So his cheating is a reflection on your worth, not a reflection on him? I guess just the repeatedness of it just makes me feel that no matter what I do, why why is that not enough? And why does he continue to seek whatever is he seeking with other women? But it never occurs to you to wonder whether he's good enough to be in a relationship, given how disrespectful he's been in this relationship? Recently, yes, I have thought about that. What are your thoughts? I think, and I've told him this, I said, I think he likes the idea of having a wife and a child and a family, but I believe that there is still a part of him that feels like there is more out there. That's what you think, or that's what he's said to you? That's what I think. Oh, so you haven't asked him about this? I have. We have talked about this. It said in your letter that he said at one point, I have a lot going on mentally. And he felt that that was causing him to act out in this way. What did he say was going on with him? Mainly work. I guess that's been the most that he's mentioned as far as the stresses in his life is just right now work. You say right now, but that was two years ago. Oh, back then. Yeah, I don't know. We never really explored that. I just have a question about how you thought about your mom when your dad was cheating on her. You say that you keep having this kind of rumination around if you were good enough, he wouldn't have to look elsewhere. That that's sort of the distorted thinking that you have. And we're going to call it distorted thinking. Did you think that your mom wasn't good enough for your dad and that's why he was cheating? No, I never thought about it that way. No. So where did you get this idea that you were not good enough? And in fact, as a child, it might even be possibly that you felt the opposite, that my mom's too good for this. Why does she put up with this? Did you ever feel that? I did. Yes. So why do you think you don't feel that way about yourself? You saw that your mom was putting up with something she deserved better. But I don't hear you saying to yourself, I deserve better. You saying, he must deserve better. Something must be wrong with me. I guess that's where the self-doubt comes in. How do you think your dad would feel if he knew that your husband was doing what he did to you? I think he would probably go back to what happened between him and my mom and feel like he couldn't judge him because... He did the same thing. You're his daughter. He wouldn't feel upset for you, angry for you. He would be that calm about it. Well, well, I did it, so I guess that's what my daughter gets. Yeah, he knows. He knows th this is going on? Mm-hmm. My mom told him. And has he spoken to you about it? No. What do you make of that? <laughs> that's, how it, that's how it is all the time. 
he doesn't talk about his feelings. My parents don't talk about anything. We never sit and talk about what happened or how we feel. That's been like that since I was a child. And then you continue that legacy with yourself because you don't ask yourself how you feel either. You said earlier, I don't really know how I feel. I think you don't really ask yourself how you feel much. You just try and figure it out, quote unquote, or you look to your husband to see what's happening there. That'll give you an orientation about what to do or what to think. But you don't look inward about what is this doing to me? Do you ask yourself, wait, how am I feeling with this? What's this doing to me? What's going on in my body when I'm thinking about these issues? Do you ask those questions? I do. I did in the beginning. I was very angry. That was kind of the biggest emotion was anger. But that's when you found out? Yes. I'm asking, in the weeks since he's temporarily moved out, have you asked yourself, how am I doing without him now? Now I'm not living with him. What does that feel like? How different does that feel? Am I more worried about what he's up to, less worried about what he's up to? Do I feel a relief? Do I feel worse? Yes, I have asked myself those questions. And? I feel a little bit of peace. You feel at peace. That's important. <laughs> yes. And I'm not as worried about what he's doing. It was two years ago, the first time it happened. But this, this time around, I'm not as worried. And I feel a little bit of peace. So you're getting in touch with the fact that you feel a little bit of relief and peace. How has he responded to the anger, the hurt, the betrayal, all of the feelings that you've talked about that came up each time this happens? How does he react? Does he comfort you? Is he curious about your feelings? What does he do? Yes, he does. He comforts me. In what way? He apologizes for what he did and asks, what can I do to make this better? What do you need from me? Oh, great. What do you say? I say you need to give me time. This was when it first happened. I said, I don't want to be around you because I feel I'm very angry. And if we're around each other, we're going to fight because I'm still angry. So I told him I need space. And he gave me that space. He didn't contact me. He didn't text, call, nothing. One of the things you might need from him is to understand why that happened. What was yeah. going on? With, have you asked him that? Have you told him that's one thing you need? I have. The reason why I told him to leave the house was that I was angry and I didn't want to fight with him in front of our son because I knew that that was going to happen. And second, partly I told him, I need you to take this time to figure out and dig deep why you do this, why you do this repeatedly. What is happening that you feel that you need validation from other women? And I'll apologize for what he did. But then it always comes back to, well, well, this is how I was feeling. So I think this is why I did this and that. Part of it is understanding. We always say insight is the booby prize of therapy, that you can have all the insight in the world, but if you don't actually make changes, the insight is useless. So we're hearing he might have some explanations, but I don't see the 
changes the action. Him not saying he's going to change his behavior, but changing his behavior. And I'm thinking particularly about when he decided to go to couples therapy with you and he went to two sessions and then decided somehow magically that the two of you would be able to get through this crisis in your relationship. What was that like for you? It sounds like he said that and you just said, okay. Were you upset about it? What did you communicate to him at that time? I was upset and I told him, I think you're making excuses as to why you don't want to go. Why did you accept that from him? Because I didn't want to argue anymore. And he would just get angry every time I brought it up or just upset. It sounds like there's this idea that you're there to caretake his feelings, that you need to take, she's smiling, you guys, <laughs> that you need to take care of his feelings. And then yours become almost irrelevant. You're so good at pushing your feelings down and really magnifying and amplifying other people's needs and feelings. We saw that everybody in the family took care of your dad's feelings. But I wonder if at some point you thought, I want something different than what my mom had. Did you ever think about that? Like, maybe I don't want to be my partner's caretaker, but maybe I want to have more reciprocity in my relationship. And I don't want to just back down because he might get angry, even though I'm asking for something reasonable. Yes. And that didn't happen up until recently. What happened recently? Because it sounds like nobody's made an appointment. He was going to take on the responsibility of finding a couples therapist and getting you guys there. But it sounds like now he's asking you to participate in that and neither of you has. So what do you think is going on there with the delay? I don't think he's ready. What about you? I'm ready. I told him I'm ready. I have a therapist that I'm going to see. And I was smiling earlier about what you were talking about, me caretaking about his feelings, because my therapist, who I went to two years ago, who also saw us as a couple therapy, when she saw me by myself, she said that about me as well. And did that have an impact on you when she said that? It did. I didn't realize it until she said that. And it really opened my eyes and made me reflect on the years that we had been together and how my actions reflect what his possible reactions would be. Right. So if you were doing that beautiful job that you do caretaking for other people, but you were doing it for yourself, if you were your own caretaker, what would you do to take care of yourself right now? To take care of your feelings in particular? That's uh, really hard for me to think about. <laughs> you teared up again. Something touched you by having that question asked. I don't think a lot of people ask you that question. No. So think about it now. What do you think your tears are trying to say? That I should take care of my needs and that my needs and my feelings should come first. Tell us how, if you were caretaking for yourself... And you say, oh, wow, Amanda's really hurting right now. She really needs help right now. She's all alone in this. 
people know about it, but everyone's pretending it's not really happening. Her husband is making noises about doing things to change, but doesn't seem to take action. And she's feeling demoralized, betrayed, abandoned, scared, unsure. Her self-worth is suffering. You as the good caretaker that you are, how would you care for Amanda who's suffering? I would tell her to leave the situation. I would tell her to leave and take care of herself and go to therapy every week and talk about your feelings. And heal. And heal, yeah. Tell us what that would look like for her if she left. Tell her as the caretaker what you think her life might look like. I know you're an only child. Imagine you had a sister, and the sister is Amanda, and the sister's in this situation. And answer Laurie's question, but you're talking to your sister called Amanda, who's in this situation, and you care for her very much. What would you say to her, to your sister? I would tell her that she deserves better and that she deserves to be treated with respect and she needs to be with somebody who truly loves her and not just say that they love you, but their actions need to match their words as well. And that I would tell her that she can do this on her own and that she doesn't need anybody else to make her feel like she's worthy. Can you also tell her what you love about her and what makes her so lovable? Your sister Amanda, who's you, but you're being the caretaker here for your sister. Tell her what you love about her and what makes her so lovable. I love that you're very empathetic with other people and that you love to take care of everybody else, but at the same time, maybe it's time that you take care of yourself going forward. I love that you're a great mom. I love that you're a good friend. Is she fun to be around? Yes, I love that you're funny and you get along well with everyone, really, that you come in contact with. Amanda has a real shine that's being dimmed at the moment, and her sister sees the shine and sees who Amanda really is and wants that Amanda to come back. I think you have all the right instincts. When we ask you really what's best for you, you're very clear about, I should leave, Amanda should leave, the sister should leave. She can not be with someone she can't trust, somebody who doesn't respect her, someone who makes promises but doesn't live up to any of them. You're very, very clear about that. When, three weeks ago, whenever it was, when you asked him to move out, you had all the intentionality. I think what happens thereafter is that you get really scared. And I think you get really scared that if your husband would say to you, well, you're the one then that's breaking up the family. You're the one that's doing the damage. You're the one that's giving up and not willing to fight for us, that you would feel really guilty because your mom stayed for you and turns out for her because she stayed after you left. But I think that your sister, if she existed, would need to help support you in following through with your own decisions because you do something similar that your husband 
does. You make yourself promises and you don't follow through. And I suspect you've promised yourself a bunch of things already that you haven't followed through on. Is that true? Yes. Like what? That I was going to give myself a lot of space and time to be away from my husband. But it's scary to think about being alone. What's scary about that? I was alone my whole life, basically. There's a difference between being alone in your experience and having some space for yourself. And for you, it sounds like there was such loneliness when being alone as a child. So you can be alone and not lonely, but it sounds like you were alone and very lonely living in this house with this big open secret that nobody acknowledged. Yes. And nobody to help you process that experience. Yes. And it sounds like the same thing now is that even though you're with your husband, it sounds like you're just as lonely. And you said now that you've had a little space, you're feeling some relief and it might feel scary and you might go back to that little girl place of being lonely, but you're not any less lonely than you were when you were with him. Right. The emotional disconnection of being with someone when you feel so disconnected to them emotionally can be exquisitely painful and far more painful than being alone because you're with someone who's supposed to be connected, who's supposed to see you, care for you, validate you, appreciate you, and you're with someone who doesn't do those things in words sometimes, but not in actions. And that can feel worse by far. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest betrayal going on here is the betrayal of yourself. He's betrayed you in all these different ways, but you've betrayed yourself in believing whatever thoughts you have about yourself that we've seen are not true. And then telling yourself that you're going to take care of yourself, but then you abandon yourself every time. Yeah. Yeah. And that abandonment over time has left you in this place where you're just kind of numb. Yeah, very much. That was the first month, no, two weeks, I think I was very numb. And so we want you to talk to your sister one last time about the betrayal and how much it breaks your heart to see her betray herself over and over and over. What is that like for you when you love her so much? Can you talk to her about that? I think it hurts me to see you keep saying that you're going to take care of yourself and heal. But at the same time, still think about your husband's feelings and kind of put that first before yours. It makes me sad for you that you're letting that happen, that you're not seeing your worth and that you continue to go back on your words. And it's not disappointing, but at the same time, it is. And I mean that in the nicest way. I'm disappointed that you keep going back on your word when 
you've made that very clear last time it happened that it happens again that was it and you were leaving ask her what she needs to stop betraying herself what do you need to stop betraying yourself and what do you think her answer would be strength a little bit more strength what about support yes strength and support and validation of her feelings first by her first and then by others we know your mom knows dad knows but is not talking about it you don't have a sister who else knows who else is there to support you i have girlfriends but there's one in particular that i opened up to because she's gone through not this before but similar she's divorced and so she's gone through it and i opened up to her first about it does she give you any guidance about how she did it and how it's been for her since she left yes and i've watched her through the whole process so i know exactly what she went through what was the hardest part about leaving for her i think she kept hoping that he was going to change do you think amanda you've been honest enough with yourself about how much pain you're in i don't think completely no i think a little bit but i don't think i've ever sat in it and made myself really feel what i'm feeling i'm thinking about the way things get passed down through generations and how your mom tried to protect you but you were in so much pain because no one was talking about it and now your son does he know what's going on or just that the two of you are splitting but doesn't really know why so he knew because he saw messages he knew but you hadn't told him just like you heard your mom on the phone but she hadn't told you mhm correct and so did you know that he knew or did you learn that later when your husband moved out no it was before he opened up to me he came to me he saw that i was upset and i just needed to get out of the house and he said let's go outside you know let's go for a walk and we went for a walk and he knew that i was sad cuz i was crying and he knew something was going on i'm very close with my son and so he can feel like when something's off with me and so i just told him i couldn't stay in that house and he said let's go outside for a walk cuz he knew kind of what happened 2 years ago but didn't really know and so he said was it like what happened 2 years ago and you didn't know that he knew about 2 years ago i did know cuz he's heard me same as my what happened with my mom <laughs> honestly what exactly does he know he knows that there was another woman okay and has he talked to you or your husband about how he feels about that the only thing he said to me that day when we were walking was that he thinks i deserve better have you asked him how he feels about this even the fact that his dad moved out temporarily in the beginning i did he said he was upset and he said that i can't believe that this is happening and he was more worried about you know what was it going to be like with my in-laws and is he going to see his cousins and i said yeah that's not going to change your dad's leaving but 
the things that have changed about your relationship with me or your relationship with your dad. If any dynamic changes, it's going to be between me and your dad. Has he spoken to his father about it? Have they had any conversation about this? Yes. He wasn't going to, and he was very mad at his dad and didn't want to talk to him. And I encouraged him that he should talk to his dad. It sounds like it was your son's responsibility to be the adult there and talk to his father instead of his father coming to him and saying, hey, buddy, how's it going? I know this is a lot. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. And I told my husband, I said, I know you can feel that your son is upset with you, but you need to be the one. What did he say to that when you asked him to do that? He said no. He said that he was going to wait until our, my son was ready to talk to him. So it was on your son to be ready to go and talk to him? Correct. And so that's the pattern that has gone on the whole time that you ask for things that are reasonable and he says no or agrees to them, but then doesn't follow through and you end up in the same place. It's the cycle all over again. Yes. So if you do nothing and you stay in this place and you repeat the pattern, we don't see any indication that he's going to change. So let's just assume that things are as they are. What's your plan? If things stay the way they are, I don't see myself moving forward with this marriage. If nothing changes, I don't want to move forward. Do you see any indication that things are going to be any different? At this moment, no. And what about for your son? What do you think would be a better situation for him? In other words, do you think that it's better for your son to grow up the way you grew up in a house like that? Or do you think it might be better for your son looking at models of what relationships look like, whose feelings matter, how people deserve to be treated, what trust looks like, what honesty looks like? Do you want him growing up the way you did and potentially getting into a relationship with those ideas? No, I don't. There are not any signs we see or you see from your husband that he's about to change or that he's trying to change. There are promises, but there are no actions. But there are a lot of signs to indicate that he's not changing. When someone promises to change and fails and promises to deliver something and fails and promises to be different, promises to find a therapist, etc., and they fail over and over. There are not signs that they're changing, but they are very clear signs that they are not. Yes, I agree. Do you see how many signs there are in that regard? Yes. I guess my question is, what is your line in the sand? For instance, if nothing changes, how many more times are you willing to endure the kind of pain that you go through every time this happens? Is that zero more times, one more time, five more times? It's zero more times. I can't do it. This was the worst by far okay. that I've felt in my life. <laughs> so we had 250 pieces of advice for you. <laughs> That's how many therapists are sitting in the room. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll take it all. Here's the first part. 
we'd like you to write a letter to your husband in which you explain to him what you would have needed to see from him after that first betrayal, when he first came to you two years ago and said, hey, to let you know this was going on, what you would have needed from him in order to feel that he was extremely serious about wanting to repair the marriage and about wanting to change his ways and about wanting to really heal and to help heal you and the hurt he caused you. So for example, you want to say to him, I would have needed you to say, here's full transparency. Here's the password to my phone, to my email. You get to look at it whenever you want. You get to ask whatever you want. If you're not sure where I am, you get to reach out. I will be available. You can say to him, I would have needed you to ask me every day, how are you feeling? And if I was angry that day, you would have needed to listen and contain it and absorb it because the hurt doesn't go away within a day. So you really want to lay out for him, this is what I would have needed because what you're really saying in that is this is what I deserved from you and what I didn't get. I deserved all of this. You coming to me, you finding the couples therapist, you setting up the appointment, you taking the lead in healing us rather than me having to hound you. And we want you to be very specific because sometimes it's hard for you to figure out what you need. We want you to make a list of 10 things, at least minimum. And that might include many of the things Guy just talked about. And we're talking about two years ago, what you would have needed after the first one. This is what I would have needed to be able to trust you again. This is what I would have needed to heal the pain and the hurt that I've gone through. It goes without saying that that's still what you need. But that letter you're going to write and email to him this week. That's the first task. How does that sound to you? Refreshing. <laughs> and the second thing is we would like you to check in with the sister that we have made up and imagined, because I think it's easier for you to be a caretaker to someone else Eventually, you'll be able to care for yourself. But if you think about this sister, we want you to kind of write her in your mind. It could be in front of the mirror. It could be an email. Dear sister, I want to let you know what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling. Have that conversation just like you did with us today. And we want you to find a time every day. It takes no more than five minutes Maybe it's when you wake up in the morning, maybe it's before you go to bed, but we want to make sure that you don't abandon yourself by not doing it. So think of a time that's going to be my time to talk about feelings with my sister. And we think that this will help you to access your feelings more in a way that you can't do when you feel like other people's feelings are more important than yours. Because we think that if you had a sister that was going through this, you would be amazing with her. Yeah. And we want you to be amazing with you. Yes. But wait, there's more. So here's another task. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Yes. <laughs> you have this one friend who knows everything, who's been through a divorce, and she's a great resource and support. Terrific. We'd like you to bring one other friend in. It's important for A, accountability for yourself. And I think it's important for one other person who maybe hasn't been through it to understand 
what you're going through so that you can have more support than just this one friend. And we want to ask you if you have someone in mind who you think would be good, who would be understanding and compassionate, not judge you, but really help you with where you are now, if you are really telling them everything. Anyone come to mind that would seem right for that? I do. If you tell her everything, how would that feel with this friend that you just thought of? I don't know. I think it would feel a little freeing and... I think she would be great because she knows a little bit already about it, not fully, and she's followed up with me. Mm, Excellent. That's great. And the reason that we want you to do that is we're not surprised that maybe you've told her a little bit, but not the whole thing, because you do that with yourself. You kind of say, oh, it's only been twice, but actually there's been so many different lies and betrayals. And if you really tell someone else, they help you to make it real. Because sometimes you talk yourself out of your own reality. Because I think your husband talks you out of your own reality. Yes, it's pretty spot on. (laughs) So when you get talked out of your reality repeatedly, like you're overstating this or it didn't really happen or it didn't really lie like that, then you start questioning yourself. Wait, what's real? What's not real? Can I trust my own instincts? So being able to tell the whole narrative without leaving any of the betrayals out then somebody else knows about them so that it helps you to not talk yourself out of reality. And that relates to the next task that we have for you. This one is similar, but it's something that you do with yourself. We want you to make a list of all of the betrayals and it's going to be in two columns. So the first column is every lie that your husband has told you. And the second column is every lie that you suspect but you don't know. So there's the confirmed ones and then there's the suspected ones. And we want you to look at that every time you get afraid about leaving because you sound really clear that you don't want to go through this again. And you also seem really clear that he's probably going to do this again, no matter what he says, because you've been through it so many times and it's been several weeks and there's still no couples therapy going on. And you said you would tolerate this zero more times. So sometimes when you start to feel like maybe he'll change this time, we want you to have that list to look at of, wait a minute, here is everything that has happened. Here are all of the lies. And if you can see them on one page right in front of you and don't leave anything out, it could be lies about anything. Oh, yes, I'll go to therapy. No, I won't go to therapy. No, I didn't do this on Instagram. Oh, actually, I did. No, I didn't sleep with her. Yes, I did. Even lies from before like, oh, yes, we'll get married. No, I don't want to get married. You're nodding. So we want you to go way back to all the lies and make a comprehensive list. Lies that are confirmed, lies that you suspect. Your eyes just went really wide, so you must think there's a lot of them. (laughs) You're laughing. Yeah. So we want you to have that whenever you get afraid. Like, oh, wow, maybe it's not that bad. We want you to really see the reality of your situation so you don't talk yourself out of it. And The next task is related to this fear. Have you spoken to a divorce lawyer? Not yet, no. Okay. We'd like you to find one. We'd like you to, if possible, meet and get an idea of what your rights are. A decision to divorce is one that's many things, but it's also financial. And you need to know where you stand, what you can expect, and you need that legal advice. We know there's a lot of fear about leaving. And we know that part of the fear for all people who are considering this is the uncertainty. But 
if you break it down, if you start to have a clear plan, if you start to be able to visualize, okay, well, this would happen, then this would happen, it becomes less scary the more articulated and clear it is. And it has to start with a legal counsel and a lawyer telling you, here's what you can expect financially, here's what the process would be, here's what you should and shouldn't do, get the initial lay of the land. So you have that. So if at the point that you do decide, you can move forward. The last one is at the point that you're ready, so that might not be something you do this week, but we just want to suggest it, that at the point that you're ready, if you do decide to move forward and to separate fully, every day you ask your son how he's doing, how he's feeling, whether he wants to talk about it. Yeah. And he might say, I'm really worried about you because he's become a little bit of a caretaker too. It sounds like that's what he did when he found out. So you had a very parallel situation. He had known about it. He found out. He came to you. Mom, I want to take care of you. Let's go for a walk. So we want to make sure that he's talking about his feelings. Yes. Not, Mom, I'm worried about you. And you can say, I'm doing fine. I'm taking care of myself, going to therapy. I have a place to go. I have friends. I have everything I need. But how about you? The important thing is that he knows he can talk to you if he's feeling sad or scared, Mm -hmm. and he's not going to have to take care of your feelings. Yes, agreed. We really want you to take care of yourself, and we're giving you the steps to take care of yourself. How does it feel to even think about doing that? I feel like it's out of my league. I'm not used to taking care of myself, but it sounds kind of exciting. And whenever you feel like, I don't know if I'm worthy of being taken care of, or I don't know if I'm worthy of my husband. Why does he need to go to these other women? Something must be wrong with me. Bring out your sister. Dear sister, time to chat. Yes. Yeah. All right. Amanda, we wanted to thank you very much for doing this. You agreed to do it in front of a live audience. We're so appreciative of that. And we really feel that you actually do know what's best for you. You're a good caretaker. And if you just shine that internally and point it at you, you'll be in a much better place. Thank you. Yes. And I would just like to have everybody give a round of applause for Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. And we really look forward to hearing how it goes this week. We really do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lauren Guy, for taking the risk of doing this. Someone in this room actually texted me during this. This is fucking great. It's so stressful, but this is badass. <laughs> well, if you think it was stressful for you, yeah. you know. People's hearts were pounding out there. So you, so brave, so courageous for what you do, making therapy so visible in the world. Thank you so very much. You're listening to Dear Therapists. We'll be back after a short break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. 
It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Guy, it's a week later. We're back in the studio. We're not live anymore. And we heard back from Amanda. Let's hear how the week went for her. Hello, Lorraine Guy. I wanted to give you an update from our conversation and the homework you both, along with 250 therapists, gave me. I did all but one. That one is in progress. Let's start with the ones completed. Uh, Right after our conversation, I reached out to one of my good friends and asked her to have lunch with me. There I was able to fully open up and tell her everything that happened. She was very empathetic and validated a lot of my feelings. It felt good to talk to someone who's never gone through this before and get her input. In the end, she said she wants to support me in whatever I do and to see me happy. That was the main thing for her, my happiness. Uh, I felt really good to have that support. I can't say that talking about everything that happened didn't bring up the anger and sadness I felt at first, which leads me to my next homework. I was able to write my husband the letter about what I needed from the first betrayal to help me heal and show me he was willing to put in the efforts to repair our marriage. I would be lying if I said that letter was not emotional to write. I was very emotional. I cried, I reflected, and I got sad. I was sad because, Guy, you were right. These are still things I need now, and I'm not sure that I will get them. I can only hope that he reads the letter, absorb it, and learn from it. After I wrote that, I went straight into the list of lies. I was already very emotional at that point, so I thought, why not, right? Looking at the list, I thought to myself, it's amazing what one person can put up with. And I asked myself, how much more would I be willing to go through to realize that I deserve honesty and fidelity? Lori, you would be very proud that I talked to my sister daily. I talked to her in the car after listening to a song that made me sad. I talked to her at bedtime. 
to analyze my feelings for that day, especially if I had an interaction negative or otherwise with my husband. I decided to journal. My therapist actually suggested that it might be good to write down my feelings. So I decided I was going to write to my sister in my journal. I have laughed and cried with my sister and I am hopeful that she is going to stick around for a while. The last and final homework was to talk to a lawyer for information to help with the fear of uncertainty. I have reached out and had to fill out a questionnaire before they called and I was able to do that. I'm just waiting for the phone call. In the meantime, they did send me information regarding what to look forward to, if that was to be my decision. And that list was a little scary, but overall hopeful. I want to thank you both for this time and for this experience. I have learned so much about myself and I'm thankful for all your advice and kind words. I'm hopeful that I will continue to heal and focus on the things that I like to do for myself, as my therapist says. That is our goal. It's really time to take care of myself. And I look forward to giving you both an update in the future. Thank you again. So we gave Amanda a lot of tasks, and all of them had the same purpose, which is to break through the denial and to have accountability there. I'm really glad she spoke to her friend. Her friend hadn't been through this situation, and the friend was empathetic, and she validated her feelings, and she wants to follow up. So I think that is great, because I do think that that will help Amanda be accountable. Yeah, I agree. And she said that talking to her friend brought up some anger and sadness, which is actually a good thing because Amanda has not been in touch enough with her anger and sadness. So I think that when you're talking to somebody else, you see yourself reflected back in a way that when she's all alone and she's holding this by herself, she's not able to get in touch with those feelings that are so important in order for her to really get what she wants and needs. And these are the appropriate feelings to have when you're talking about what happened. And I'm always glad when I hear someone say, I spoke about things which are very upsetting and very angering, that they actually got upset and angry. That's appropriate. That's what you should feel. If you don't feel that at this stage, when you're talking about it, then that is the denial. So it was very good to hear that she pierced through it. I also like that she did write that letter to her husband. And it sounds like she was very detailed in getting in touch with what she would have needed then. And as she said, what she still needs now. And she said she got very emotional. She got sad. That's good. Breaking through the denial. The one thing she did say is that she did give it to her husband and she hopes he learns from it. And again, that's where I think her denial comes back. I don't have a lot of hope that he's going to learn from this. He might be on his best behavior for a little while in order to get her back. But He really needs to do everything that she says in that letter and not once, but consistently every day if he is really going to make true change. I just want her to hold on to the fact that it's not about what he does or doesn't do because he either is going to do this consistently or he isn't. But it's the fact that she is now clear about what her line in the sand is. And the complimentary part of the letter was the list of lies. Because the letter is what she needs and the list of lies was, and this is what you've been getting so far. And she said that when she looked at that, her feeling was, wow, it's amazing what one person will tolerate. And also like, how much more am I willing to tolerate? That's exactly what we wanted her to get out of that, that she would look at this list and go, my goodness, it's all of this. And really, I hope the how much more was a rhetorical question, because really how much more? 
Yes, it sounded rhetorical. How much more can I take? Meaning she's really getting clear that there isn't much more that she can take, if anything. I'm also glad she really took to talking to this imaginary sister that we assigned her during the session because it is so valuable to imagine someone who's very close and who's there by your side because ideally that's the person that will get you most and that has your back the most. She didn't have that, so she had to invent it and imagine it. And she really incorporated it into her life, not just talking to her sister, but even in her journal, journaling to the sister. I think it's such a great use of that device because that's the device through which I hope she'll learn self-compassion. We talked in the session about how she replicated her childhood situation in her present situation. She was all alone. And it sounds like she really connected with that idea of having that person, having someone there where she can be completely open and vulnerable and honest and feel supported and going back to the accountability and the denial, have that other person there to say, hey, you deserve better. This is not okay. And all of that is true with a lawyer as well. The lawyer is for all those things as well, for the accountability, to get a realistic read. It sounds like she did all those steps. She's waiting to hear from them. I was very impressed that she called the lawyer and filled out the forms just in that week since we had the session. She said it was scary but hopeful, and I was so glad to hear that it felt hopeful to her because we know what her fears are, and I think just getting the information makes her see that this is really possible. This is not as scary as I thought it would be, and I'm glad that she feels some degree of hope for a better future in having contacted the lawyer. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get you, Amanda, to pay more attention to yourself, to your feelings, to your needs. And I think you've done such a great, great job. And I'm so glad that your therapist is on board. So now it's not 250 therapists, plus Laurie and I, it's 251. You have an army behind you, Amanda. So I really hope that helps you move forward and find happiness. Next week... A woman whose whirlwind romance led to an unexpected pregnancy and subsequent abortion wonders how to let go of her resentment of her partner. The depression was actually a defining factor in why he wanted me to get another abortion. He felt like I was not emotionally capable of taking care of a child. That was the exact thing he said to me. And that really stuck with me. Maybe he's right. If you're enjoying our podcast, don't forget to subscribe for free so you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapist by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional editing support by Zachary Fisher and Katie Matty. Our intern is Alana Doherty. And special thanks to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. We can't wait to see you at our next session. Dear Therapists is a production of iHeartRadio. Fish food. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, 
and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 